there's a story about Sherlock Holmes, who's a famous detective of the late 19th century, who was born in 1887, and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. They both went on a camping trip. And after a good meal and a bottle of wine, they laid down for the night and tried to go to sleep. But some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend awake. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Well, what does that tell you, Holmes questioned. Watson pondered for a minute. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxy, galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Sherlock Holmes was silent for a minute and then spoke. Watson, you idiot. It tells me that somebody stole our tent. (laughs) Well, like Sherlock... Not giving the obvious answer to Dr. Watson, sometimes in our lives, God chooses not to speak to us and give us the direct answer. When Jesus is trying to do something in our heart and in our lives to see our need for him and to bring us to the obvious. (laughs) And many times when we try to figure out why God's not talking to us while we're wrestling with him. And there's things in our lives that we're struggling with, be it finances, be it relationships, be it the, the difficulties that we in this body are going through, especially losing, uh, we're not losing her, but she's going on ahead of us, Audrey, and we wrestle with that. And many times we try to figure out, Lord, why aren't you speaking to me? I'm crying out to you. I'm coming to you in faith. Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you giving me the answer that I need? You know, many times what I deduced in this passage and in our lives, God's silence can be a blessing. Did you know that? Did you know that when the Lord doesn't speak to you in your life, he's drawing something out of you that you couldn't have done yourself? And so that's why sometimes he is silent. His silence can be a blessing. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 15. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now Tyre and Sidon is modern day Lebanon as we know it. It's just north of Israel. Jesus' preaching ministry was soon coming to the end. The cross was in view. He established the gospel in all the territories of Israel, Samaria, and other parts. And so what does he do? He retreats with his disciples basically to enemy territory, to Gentile land. This was highly unusual for a, a Jewish rabbi to do something like this. He's preparing his disciples for the final days of his life. He's heading towards the cross, which was his ultimate mission. And he wants to spend some quality time with his disciples, just teaching them privately and resting for the days ahead. Because he knew they would be dark and treacherous. 
And he wanted to make sure that the future leaders of his church were prepared. So, of course, the disciples were probably a little leery heading to this area of Tyre and Sidon. After all, it was it it, it was full of of uh, idol worship and some vile practices. And even after the resurrection, Peter had to be corrected on his bigotry towards the Gentiles. So we'll see that in play here. Well, not necessarily with Peter, but his correction towards the Gentiles because he loves them as well. Can you imagine how uncomfortable these Jewish boys felt walking into Tyre and Sidon? They must have hated it. And Jesus will often lead us to places and situations where people are nothing like us. He will lead us to places where we are uncomfortable. Why? To show us how much he loves people that you may dislike or feel uncomfortable around. How much he wants to save them and how much he wants to impart his heart into me and into you for others. When we can look at others and our heart can be broken with love for for them. What is Jesus trying to teach you by allowing that person in your life that might be abrasive, annoying, disruptive? Truth is, how much you dislike being around your boss, your family member, your your spouse, hopefully not. Coworker, remember that we are just as offensive to God uh, as, as, as they are to us. Well, even more so towards the Lord. But the gospel is so glorious that Jesus said, you are unlovable, but because I am love, because of who I am, I love you and I died for you. I came into your world. And because of, because of who I am, not because of who you are, is why you're loved. And when you understand that, it is easy to love others. Because you love them with God's love and not yours. It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching, says St. Francis of Assisi. Jesus is telling the disciples that the Gentiles were included in his plan. He did command them to go to all nations and make disciples. They were supposed to move out when he ascended to be with our father. When he ascended to be with our father, he takes us places to get us to think outside the box. When it comes to people in ministry. The disciples were commanded to go and take the gospel to a world, to the world, but they ended up staying in Jerusalem. It was a holy huddle. And we do not want to get to a place where we stay instead of go. Ministry needs to be done outside the four walls of the church rather than just inside. And so maybe the Lord has some of you there today. Maybe the Lord is stirring your heart and saying, you know, it's time for you to go and you're a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's time to step out and see what he has for you by faith. Look at verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, somehow this woman found out where Jesus was and she tracked him down. It's important that we understand the pagan practices of this region to get a better feel as to why this woman came to him. 
The people of Tyre and, uh, and Sidon worship the god called Ashtarte, the goddess of fertility, also known in the Old Testament as Asherah. You ever heard that term? And they would erect these poles and they would worship. It was worshiped through sexual practices and they built these huge altars and the babies born from these practices would be sacrificed to a god called Molech, being placed in the hot brazen arms of a human statue with a bull's head. It was disgusting. The culture in that day saw children as a burden and an inconvenience to their freedom, standing in the way to pursue their comfort and their own lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? This was a way for them to sacrifice something else other than the God of their comfort. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Stop looking for the path of least resistance and start running down the path to the greatest glory of God and good to others. Because that's what Jesus, the real man, did. So she walks into this room, the disciples, Jesus is teaching them. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Isn't it interesting that she addresses Jesus as the son of David? This was a messianic Jewish term. And she was a Gentile. She doesn't have that right because she lacks the, the, the pedigree, so to speak, at least, at least for now. This Canaanite woman searched for the most appropriate way to address him. In her desperate need, I mean, I'm sure if any one of our children were oppressed by a demonic being, we would do the same as she did, no doubt about it. You'd come to her to, to, Jesus, to Jesus in desperation, having heard the phrase son of David before. But many times when we're facing a crisis and try to speak to God on his level, <laughs> because we're trying to get something from him, rather than recognizing who he is and what he wants from us. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't love or care about this woman and her daughter, but he wants her to really know him and trust him. He wants her to worship him. As John Piper likes to say, God is more glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. What about the Apostle John? History tells us that Titus Domitian... The Caesar Domitian tried to boil John alive in oil. And we get this from the early church father, Tertullian. God miraculously delivers the apostle John from that situation. And then he was banished to this island called Patmos, this, this God-forsaken island in the middle of, of the Mediterranean. If you look at it on Google now, it's like a resort town. But he was there and he didn't have a guitar, a Bible. He didn't have anything. He was all alone there to die. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter one, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Meaning, you know what? It's the Lord's day. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. Excuse me. I have nothing, but you know what? I have Jesus. So he starts to worship. And the Bible says in Revelation one that Jesus appears to him. And gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whenever you're in a situation, you don't work your way out of it. You worship your way out of it. 
You worship your way out of it. Worship is the right response. And that's what this woman was doing. She was not being honest with Jesus or herself, at least in my, the way I read it. She's trying to come to him on a certain level instead of just being real with God. And I think there's something refreshing when we can just come to the Lord and just be real and honest with him. He's not afraid of your stuff. He invites you to bring it. So the second problem in this approach is that, well, I already read that part. Sorry. You see, her, her, our sins give us, we think, a life of freedom, but they only give us a life of bondage. Look at verse 23. But he did, this is so key. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. Get rid of her. She's coming in on our time with you. She's an annoyance. Move her out of the way. Do you see the hard-heartedness of the disciples? Do you think Jesus wants to teach them something about their own hearts? Jesus' silence is deafening. Here this, this woman is who has a child who's being oppressed by a demonic being and his silence is deafening. Was Jesus being cruel? Was he being mean? Obviously, he could do something about the situation, but he chooses not to. And to top it all off, the, look at how the disciples react. There's no compassion. There's no heart. Just contempt for this precious woman's desperate situation. Jesus is silent because what he's doing is he's drawing faith out of her. He's causing her to become more desperate than before so that her, her heart will land on him. And we don't know the condition of her heart, but we do know that whatever Jesus does is just and we can see him working. And if you don't believe that he didn't go through this, just think about his situation on the cross. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And the gospel says that Jesus endured silence from the Father on our behalf. So that you and I could be spoken to by our Heavenly Father. He knows what it's like to not hear the voice of His Father. Are you in a season in your life where it's dark and you don't know which way is up and you don't hear God's voice? Let me assure you and let me encourage you. This is where Jesus is doing his best work in your life. He's drawing a faith out of you like this woman that you've never known before. So that you can experience a deeper intimacy, a deeper joy, a deeper satisfaction in him like never before. It's through your desperate situation that you really begin to know him more profoundly. Once the crisis is over, you know what you gain? You gain Jesus, more of him. Notice the disciples' lack of compassion. Notice their prejudice. Based on their attitude, she's got three obstacles that she's facing. Number one, she was a woman. And women in that culture, were, looked, were they were looked down upon. They were basically second-class citizens. 
which is great that it was women who found the empty tomb. Number two, she was a Gentile, and Gentiles were despised. In fact, they were, they were considered worse than dogs. And number three, she was a pagan. Obviously exposed to some cultic practices, her daughter was possessed by a demonic being. Something had to influence her. We need to be very careful as Christians that we don't allow our attitudes and our prejudices to drive people away from Jesus. Those who have faith in Christ should never show favoritism, prejudice, or partiality to anyone. This includes social class, race, fashion. I know I'm probably stating the obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated. We're to be different than the rest of the world. In fact, our culture now is coming up with new morality based on what it says. But you see, when you're in Christ, you don't pin one against the other. You don't, you don't demonize anybody. You love everyone based on the cross. Notice the disciples were irritated when their time with God was interrupted. Let it be known to us, brothers and sisters, that faith is never built in convenient times. I mean, take this morning for as an example. Buzzy texted us about, what, 7.30, 8 o'clock this morning? I can't, I can't come. And I'm a little uncomfortable being up here, to be honest with you, because I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, but Kirk and Fred said they didn't want to do it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, they would do, they would do a much better job than I could. But your faith will always be built in times of inconvenience. Not according to your schedule. <laughs> Ministry always comes at the most in, in, inopportune times. And you know what? It's there where God does his best work. Because now you're forced to rely on him. And the disciples here are just flat out mean and rude. One reason Jesus may not be speaking to you is that maybe he's exposing the hearts around of those around you. And I experienced it this week where I have a flaw where I don't treat my children with understanding at times. And I just felt like I couldn't hear the Lord. And then the Lord exposed that in my heart and said, well, before we move on to this thing, I need you to listen to your children and your wife. It was a hard lesson. But it's there where he's drawing things out through situations. Why does God remain silent in your life? Why doesn't he give you the answer that you want? Well, I suggest to you three reasons. Number one, if you're trying to get an answer from God and he's not speaking to you, it's because he's keeping you dependent upon him. And he is driving all self-reliance and self-sufficiency out of you and me. We're full of good ideas and solutions and things of that nature. But if they're not of him. Number two, keeps me in his word. It keeps me when I don't hear God speaking. It keeps me anchored in his promises in his holy word. Number three, it keeps me humble and useful. 
Because if I don't know what the heck I'm doing or why the Lord is not speaking, it gets my heart to a place where God says, now I can use you. Number four, keeps me from information that would hinder my walk with him. What do I mean? Can you imagine the disciples when they said, Lord, after the resurrection in in Acts 1, Lord, will you at this time establish the kingdom? Hey, boys, just to let you know, what would have happened if Jesus said, well, okay, here's the plan. I'm not going to come back and establish the kingdom for another 2,000 years. Uh, Peter, you're going to get crucified and hung upside down. James, you're going to get sawn in half. John, you're going to go through, you're going to live for a long time, but you're going to have to go through an awful lot of stuff. Can you imagine if the Lord would have laid out the plan for these guys? And they were probably like, when they went through all of that, I'm glad I didn't know. And the Lord's not going to give you the full picture because he wants to take you through some things. Matthew uh, 15, 24, he said, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel at this statement. If I were this woman, I would have slunk away in despair. Her race was against her. Her sex was against her and the disciples were against her, but she shows remarkable perseverance. And this was a true statement that Jesus said, notice that they are the lost sheep. He was sent to bring his own people Uh, back to himself. But why then first? Why didn't he deliver this woman's daughter right then and there? Which he will later in the passage. Think of the protocol on any standard commercial flight. If the cabin loses pressure and the mask drop, who puts the mask on first? The parent does. You see, there's there's an order to things in God's kingdom. Whenever Paul went into a town, the first place he went to was a synagogue. He preached the gospel to the Jews. The Jews would then reject him. And then he'd say, fine, I'm going to the Gentiles. And it will be later in my eschatology that the Lord will bring back Israel in the latter days. In the same way, Jesus needed to put the mask on the Jews first so that he could save everyone else. This was his order. Remember what he's told the woman at the well? Salvation is of the Jews to the Jew first. But then he says, but the time is coming when you will neither worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. Now, let's answer the second question. Why didn't he deliver this woman's daughter right then and there? She needed to realize her state of priority by this statement. And to trust in Jesus and his plan, he needed her to realize her depravity and lowliness of her estate. He needed her to feel that and know it. And he was squeezing her heart like a sponge so that she could see what was in it. A specific order of salvation needed to happen first for her benefit in God's greater glory. The Syrophoenician culture had a me first mentality. And she needed to say, I'm a Syrophoenician woman and I am second. If we ever question why God hasn't delivered us when we need or when we think we need, we need to think about an order of priority of what he's doing. When God sets up a priority, it is is best to follow this to be delivered and blessed. The reason is our deliverance isn't just happening to us. 
It's happening to those around us. And God is using our crisis to deliver others as well. You think about Jacob wrestling with God. Broke his hip. It was through his brokenness that a nation was saved. Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And this time she avoids titles. She she avoids uh, placations. She just comes and now she's real. I'm a sinner needing help. I have nothing to offer. Her, her true heart was starting to show. This woman comes begging. She kneels in true, spontaneous worship of who Jesus is in humility, no longer concerned about trying to, do, to get Jesus to do something for her. She kneels before him and she worships him. And I always think that breakthrough comes in our lives when we always come to see Jesus for who he is. God in the flesh, creator of the universe and sovereign over all things, including your crisis. Including Audrey. He is sovereign over her. She was seeing him for who he is. Lord, have your way. Whatever you choose, have your way. The word worship in the Greek is the word proskuneo. It means to turn. It means to turn and to kiss. That's the word she used, that is used here in the scripture. It's spontaneous. It's just being real before God. And this woman was beginning to see the size of her God versus the size of her problems when she was worshiping. Verse 26 and 27. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus is speaking in an analogy here. The children are the Jews. The bread is Jesus himself. The dogs are the Gentiles. And when Jesus called her one of the little dogs, he used this as a term of endearment. In fact, the word that Jesus uses in the Greek is the word kunarion, which means little puppy. This really softened the, the traditional Jewish slur towards Gentiles in that day. And dogs in the Greek culture were considered pets. So Jesus is basically saying the children, the Jews must be fed with the bread. Jesus first before any of the food or bread. Jesus is given to the dogs of the puppies, the Gentiles. Jesus is not playing games with this woman. Nor was he trying to make the situation more difficult for her. He was drawing out of her a growing response of faith. And she immediately seized on this illustration about the children's bread, which was exactly what he wanted her to do. We may paraphrase her reply like this. It's true that we Gentiles do not sit at the table as the children and eat bread, but even the pet dogs under the table can eat some of the crumbs. 
What a tremendous testimony of faith she has. And like this woman, maybe Jesus is leading you to just humble yourself and recognize that you can't do anything about your situation, but receive his grace. This woman says, I don't need a whole loaf. I just need a crumb of faith to get the job done. I just need you. You just need a crumb for your security in Christ. When I was 15 years old, I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, my parents divorced when I was two. My mother remarried to uh, a man who, in a sense, my stepfather became uh, very dear to me. He was, uh, he was my stepfather. My dad lived in Los Angeles a couple hours away. I would see him maybe every other weekend. And, um, but my stepfather was an alcoholic. Got into some real shady business dealings. And when I was 12 years old, uh, my mother sat me down and because of all the pressure that he was under, of all the stuff that he was involved with, uh, told me that he took his own life. And you can imagine a 12-year-old trying to process all that. The next few years of my life uh, were just an absolute hell. Um, how do you process that? So... My mom met a, a, a wonderful gentleman who she's still married to to this day. He is a believer in Christ, um, but at the time he wasn't. And they decided to have the good idea of, of moving us all to Hawaii. You'd think, hey, Hawaii, man. It, it just made it worse for me. I was miserable. Here I was in this paradise, and uh, I was so lost. And my dad had remarried and flew over to Hawaii and took me to Waikiki for a week. And all we did was play. And he invited me to come and live with him. I was 15 at the time. I was so angry and so bitter. Remember one night my dad sat me down and he just kind of shared the gospel with me. And I sat on my bed. And, and just in this angry voice towards God. You, I mean, you ever... <laughs> And I looked up at him and I said, I don't know. I don't know who you are. I think you were the one who ruined my life. But you know what? If you're really who you say you are and you're really real, I'm going to give you this much. And looking back, I, I see the Lord laughing, going, man, Brett, a mustard seed's about that big. I mean, you're giving me way more room. And I remember waking up the next day. And I was seeing things in technicolor. I was floating around the room and I was like, what in the world? And it was so shocking. The overwhelming peace of the Holy Spirit just transforming me, just radically saving me. That uh, I it was so funny. I tried to get angry. Isn't that hilarious? I tried to get angry, but I couldn't because so much love. And every time I tried to get angry. Because it's what gave me meaning in my life at that point. I would just start crying. The Lord radically changed my life. And I think of this woman. Just a little bit. Just a little. And I'll take that. And man. Oh, 
Wait till you watch what I do with that. Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe the Lord is not speaking to you. He's drawing you out. Jesus is trying to get you to see that a little of him is all satisfying. And a lot of everything else is not. Be satisfied with just Jesus. Then you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd. I. Jesus said to her woman in verse 28. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And this is the emphatic in the Greek. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman's faith was great because she persisted in asking and trusting when everything seemed against her. Certainly her race was against her. Her sex was against her. And for most Jewish rabbis, they paid little attention to women in that day. And yet she pursued and persisted in prayer. There was an American pastor and author named James H. Brooke told of visiting, told of a visiting visiting a friend's house and hearing the music of a bird singing. It was not the ordinary sound of chirping. Instead, it resembled the strains of a lovely melody. And at first, Brooks didn't know where it was coming from, but when he glanced around the room, he saw a beautiful bullfinch in a birdcage. The lady of the house explained that it had been taught to sing that way at night. The teacher would repeat the notes time and time again until the bird was able to mimic them. But this was possible only because it was dark and the bird's attention would not be diverted. Maybe the Lord's keeping you in the dark so that you'll learn to sing a new song in your heart. There's a poem that I found. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. You won't be in the dark for long. But his silence will be over soon. And you'll know the reason why. Last point and I'll close. One of my favorite Bible teachers, pastors, uh, John Corson in, in Oregon, has been through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And yet, if you saw this man, he is so full of joy. He lost his wife to a car accident. He lost his daughter to a car accident. He lost his son to lupus and cancer. He's lost close friends. And yet this man is so full of joy. And I'll never forget when his, when his first wife passed away back in 1982. He was, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to, I want you to teach John a week after his wife died. And as John was ironing his daughter's dress, didn't know how to iron a dress for his little, little girl. He, he spoke and he said, Lord, what, why? Why? 
And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, John, did I, didn't I promise you that I would give you the peace that surpasses all understanding? And John said, yes, Lord, you did. You did promise that. And he said, well, then, John, stop trying to seek peace by understanding. We just need to let go and let Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And though we don't understand, we know you're good. And we know that you passionately love us. And we can trust in that. Thank you, Father. You know, Lord, thank you for the silence. Thank you for drawing us out and bringing us closer at the foot of the cross and at your feet where we can just sit and just enjoy you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.